So if you would please uh, turn with me to John chapter 1, and I will begin to read at verse 19. I'll begin to read at verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Now this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, He answered, No. And then they said to him, Who are you that you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming down toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speaking. And they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon, Peter, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. 
Now when Jesus looked at him, he, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found a Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew, excuse me, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this for these verses, for, the, for this section of the Gospel of John, this first week of Christ's ministry. And help us this morning, Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things out of the book of your law. Amen. Amen. Jesus reminded his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 20. He said, remember... The word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And as we look at this section, our focus this morning is going to be on verses 18, excuse me, verse 19 through 28, verse 19 through 28. But this entire section, the reason I read it, and it actually continues into chapter 2, constitute what what most believe is the first week of Jesus's ministry. So the structure of this entire section really is it takes up about a weeks a weeks worth of time at least 5 days. So you have the section in verse 19 but then look at verse 29. The next day John, the next day John. Look at verse 35. Again the next day after John stood Now, if you look at the end of verse 39, it appears that the day ends, and uh, 39, the end of verse 39, for it was about the 10th hour. And the next day begins there at verse 40, and then following, that's another day. So 40 and follow, through 40 through 42 is another day. Verse 43, the day following, Jesus would go forth in Galilee. And then again, if you look at chapter 2, which we did not read, but if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, and the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. So you have this 
first week, as it were, of Jesus's ministry. The first week of Jesus's ministry is what John is now recording for us. Or we can say a week of Jesus's ministry. So this very important uh, portion of the book of John not only records for us this first week, but the testimony of John, the testimony of John the Baptist. And we saw the testimony of John as we were looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, that prologue that put Christ before us as the creator of the world, equal with God, God himself, the sustainer of natural life, the giver of spiritual life, the section that really exalts our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we get into the narrative portion of the book. And here we begin with this first week, as it were. And the words of John fifteen twenty ring through. The servant of the Lord now is being persecuted. He's being interrogated by the religious leaders of his day. By the religious leaders of his day. And uh, in my excitement to preach this passage, I forgot to do our offering. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we've got to get to the Bible. So if uh, you have your offering, I guess we'll put our plate back there, and after the service, you can put the offering there, okay? Sorry. <laughs> That's not a bad thing, right? You see, I'm not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not worried about the money. That's, that's not what we're here for. Oh. <laughs> okay, so uh, <laughs> to back back to our back to our text, back to our our, our passage. So, verses nineteen through twenty eight really constitutes um, sort of an inquisition. Is really what you have here. You have a delegation come from the Jews. And uh, the word that is used, this is a record. This is an account of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Who are you? And really this constitutes his denial. He denies, um, he denies several things. He speaks in the negative, who he is not. And he makes it plain to them who he is not. Now, the Jews here in verse 19, the Gospel of John uses this term, Jews, in various ways. Here, more than likely, because a delegation comes from them, this was the Jewish uh, leadership. Uh, more than likely, the high priests or the aristocrats, possibly a group of the Sadducees, maybe even part of the Sanhedrin, or that part of the Sanhedrin that would have had a leadership over the priests, because that's who they sent. They sent the priests and the Levites. The priests and the Levites. Uh, this is um, makes a lot of this makes a lot of sense because the priests, in particular, the descendants of Aaron and then the Levites who uh, who served with them, were they were in charge of the ceremonial system and particularly any kind of ritual that was in place and that was used for purification purposes. 
So the Jews send this delegation. Now, these are not the only ones who come. Part of this group, if you look down at verse 24, part of this group of priests and Levites were Pharisees, were Pharisees. But if you look at John chapter 3, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 3, turn back to Matthew chapter 3. You'll see exactly, uh, you'll get an idea why a delegation had to be sent. Of course, there was this issue of, of purity because of the baptism that John was offering. But if you look at, at uh, Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 in Matthew chapter 3. Then went out to him, went out, they will go out to John, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, so, so uh, John was causing a ruckus. That's what was happening. John is causing, he's out in the sticks in the middle of nowhere, there in the desert. He's out in the desert causing a ruckus. And all the people are coming to John, right? This, this universal language, all Jerusalem, all Judea. And even the Pharisees and the Sadducees come. So everybody is coming to John. And even, uh, so look also at Luke. I want to look at Luke chapter 3. They're not just coming to him to see the spectacle, but they're actually being baptized, and then they're conferring with him. They're asking him questions. So in Luke chapter 3, verse 10, Luke chapter 3, verse 10, the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? Verse 12, The publicans came to be baptized and said to him, Master, what shall we do? Verse 14, The soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? So the people were in a stir. And this is causing a lot of commotion. And... Uh, what did the Jewish leaders want more than anything? They wanted authority. And if this John caused too much trouble, the Romans are going to come and they're going to take our place and our position among the people. So they sent Levites and priests to examine John. To examine John. Uh, religious formalists... Religious formalists hate Christians. And that's even religious formalists in churches. They don't like Christians because they have a particular form and a particular way that we're supposed to worship. This is the way that we're supposed to do things, right? Uh, this is the way that the building ought to be decorated. And this is the way, you know, the lights should be dimmed a particular way. And these are the songs that are acceptable for us to sing. And this is how you have to dress. And this is how you have to look. And, you know, it's all formality for, for the sake of themselves. 
It has nothing to do with God. We have to be very careful personally of these things. I've had the privilege of worshiping with brothers and sisters from other uh, denominations, and um, the way that they worship is not the way that I would gather together and worship with God's people, although they were doing it according to the general rule of Scripture. They weren't violating the Word of God. Yet I understand that those things do not cause a, a distinction. They're not, uh, they, they are still Christian people. Yet for the religious formalists, they hate it when God causes a holy ruckus. And also you have to remember another thing too. From, from uh, who does John descend? Well, John, is a, his family is priests. His father was a priest. His father was serving in the temple when he found out John was going to be born. And now this priest is out here like a wild man preaching in the wilderness, baptizing people. So the religious leaders had a problem. Why are you doing this? By whose authority are you doing these things? And John answers. But he answers in the negative. That is really a, a denial here. And he confessed and denied not and did not deny, but confessed. You see, his, his confession is a denial. It, the Greek is actually pretty complicated here, but the point is emphasis. It's, it's, uh, John is making it very clear in his confession who he is not. Who he is not. I am not the Christ. I am not the when uh, I don't know if you've experienced this. If you grew up in a Christian home, it, maybe you, you haven't experienced this, possibly if you moved into the workforce. But if you're a Christian and uh, you work with folks who are unconverted um, and then they find out you're a Christian, have you ever had this happen when they start, like, you know, they're joking around, start cussing, using profanity, telling rude jokes? They'll apologize to you. You ever had that happen? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, you could say with John, I am not the Christ. It's not. I'm, I, I am not worthy of that kind of respect. You're not offending me by talking that way or telling those jokes. Ultimately, your sins are a sins against the God of heaven. You see? Don't think about my sensibilities only. Really, your offense is an offense against God. John was very, very uh, John understood clearly that although he was causing a holy ruckus, right, his person was disturbing and causing a disruption. He wanted to make it very clear that he was not the one whom they were looking for. It's not him. It's not me. I am not the Christ. And we have to make that very clear to people. You're not offending me. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. Now this might be confusing to some because uh, Jesus, of course, uh, makes it very clear in Matthew 11. 19, let's, let's look there. Matthew eleven nine. 
And we've looked at these texts when we were looking at the beginning of chapter 1, but the repetition is helpful. Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 9. Beginning at verse 9. Well, let's just read verse 14, because i got a lot more verses. And read ver- I'll read verse 14, 11, 14. And if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was to come. That's who he is. So John the Baptist says, so this might be confusing. Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet is the next question, and we'll see, we'll, we'll see what, what's happening there. Now, uh, Jesus uh, makes the statement very clear. This is Elijah who was to come. He makes the statement also in the book of Mark. And when uh, John the Baptist, his birth is declared to his father, Zechariah, or Zecharias, he is told that he will come with that particular ministry that Elijah would have, which would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children hearts to the fathers. So this declaration uh, might be confusing to some. What, what do you mean, John? You're not Elijah. Well, we have to remember multiple, uh, at least uh, two things. First, remember, Elijah never died. He was taken up into heaven with chariots of glory. That's in um, 2 Kings 2, 11 and following. So he's taken up into heaven. So, so yeah, John the Baptist is not physically Elijah. He's not him, right? There was expectation among the Jewish people that Elijah would come. Elijah himself would come. As he went into heaven, he would return to earth, and he would have a ministry among the people before the coming of the Messiah to prepare the way. Well, John the Baptist himself is not Elijah, but he comes as it is promised to his father in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Jesus says, this is Elijah. So that ministry, that function, John takes it up, yet he is not literally Elijah. Another thing that we have to remember is that these things were not crystal clear to John himself. John tells us um, in verse... 33, John 1, 33. I did not know him, but he that sent me to baptize with water, he said to me, upon whom you shall see the Spirit descending and remaining on, that one is the one which baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So these things, it appears that these things have been progressively, were progressively being revealed to John. John himself, the, the reason why that conversation in Matthew 11 is, is happening, where Jesus says that uh, John the Baptist is Elijah, is because Elijah has been, um, excuse me, John the Baptist has been imprisoned. And John is wondering, hey, I thought you were the Christ. These things are not absolutely clear in John's mind, John's mind either. And remember that in Acts chapter 19, there are still disciples of John who had not received the Spirit. So again, this kind of goes into our class a little bit this morning, right? It's the Spirit of God. These things are, from Ephesians 3, these things are a mystery. They were hidden and laid in the Old Testament. And during the New Testament time, during the ministry of Jesus, God is progressively revealing these things. And then, the apostles declare them and make them clear. And those things that are written in the Gospels help us to understand how the Old Testament is being fulfilled. And then the apostles 
in the epistles give us the application to help us to understand these things with greater clarity. John was a man of his time, and he only understood those things that were revealed to him. He didn't understand everything. And he wasn't literally Elijah. So he says, no, I'm not. Art thou the prophet? And he said, no. And this statement of being the prophet, there was... uh, Jewish eschatology wasn't neat. Like we have this conception of like, you know, all Jews believed a particular thing, but they didn't. Um, some believed that a prophet would come, and this 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 prophet, Elijah, would come. Uh, they believed that a suffering servant would come. They had all of these different figures. Uh, what's amazing is then in the New Testament, these these all of these figures come together and it's one person, the Lord Jesus except Elijah. But this prophet whom they're asking for is the prophet of Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18. And Moses declares to the people, um, listen to his words in Deuteronomy 18. Moses declares this to the people. Deuteronomy 18. And... uh, Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up unto you a prophet from the midst of you and your brethren like unto you. Unto him you shall hearken, you shall hear his voice. Voice. God is going to raise up a prophet from among you, from your brothers, and this is the one that you have to listen to. This is the one that you have to listen to. And in Acts, if you look at the book of Acts quickly, Acts chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 22. This is Peter preaching the word of God. In verse 19, he calls the men and women who are hearing him to repent. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Then times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus, which before was preached to you, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God had spoken by the mouth of the holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, A prophet shall, uh, yeah, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him you shall hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And the person who shall not hear that prophet will be judged. And he makes it clear that Jesus is that prophet, if you continue reading that chapter. So John says, no, I am not that prophet. I am not the prophet. Who's pro- That's not me. That's not me at all. You see, uh, John the Baptist understood that he was nobody's savior. He didn't make himself to be uh, this, this grand an important person. He came for a particular person, a purpose. He had a particular ministry. He had a particular office he was to fill. And he wasn't looking for the praise of men. 
He wasn't looking for men to applaud him. It wasn't about John. And brothers and sisters, as we are pointing people to Christ, we must remember it is not about us. Using our testimony, right, in evangelism, it has a place, right? But, but our testimony won't get people to heaven. You understand? It's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So you could, you could have been the rottenest person in the world, and you can explain that in, in you know, your testimony in all of its grotesqueness to people. That's not going to save anybody. Or you could have been raised in a Christian home and been the kindest person in the world and God was gracious and saved you. That won't save anybody. That was a good conversation starter. It's a great place to start to get the door open. I'm not saying not to use it, but we have to remember that that is not the power of God. We are not to point to ourselves. We're not to look for the praise of men for the applaud of people, applause of people. That's not what we're to look for. John wasn't looking for those things. John knew who he was. He wasn't a pretender. He wasn't looking for the praise of men. He understood his identity was in Christ. His identity was in Christ. So, I am none of these things. So then they said to him, Who are you? Verse 22. That we may give an answer, that we may give an account to them that sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. You see how he deflects here. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything about himself. He doesn't say, well, I'm the son of Zacharias the priest, and when I wasn't even born, an angel appeared to my father and said to him, you could read it all in Luke chapter 1. That's not what he said. He said, I am a voice. A voice has, what, what, you know, a voice has, uh, uh, right, comes from somewhere, right? But again, he's pointing them back. Now he's pointing directly to God. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now this, this what I would say, so we're going to look at Isaiah 40. I, I, I think Isaiah 40 is the Old Testament background for the first week of Jesus' ministry. So let's turn to Isaiah 40. And now the book of Isaiah is um, really beginning at verse, uh, excuse me, beginning at chapter 40 of the book of Isaiah, we have all of these uh, promises now, good tidings, good news is being proclaimed to Israel. Remember, Isaiah is preaching before the captivity, and the people, uh, so he's preaching before the captivity, he's telling them, if you don't repent, you're going to go into Captivity. Matter of fact, you're not going to repent. You're going to go into captivity. But then once you go into captivity, God is going to bring you out of captivity. And the language that he uses, really, is, is Exodus language to describe how the people are going to come out from this captivity. So Isaiah 40, and uh, we're going to turn from Isaiah 40. What, uh, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read from Isaiah 40. And then I'm going to show you why I think it's the background. There are several places in Isaiah 40 and in John 10 that the statements help you understand the context with greater clarity. 
So for example, verse, let's begin at verse 41. I mean, uh, verse 1. Verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people. Comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him crying in the wilderness, prepare the, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. You see, John the Baptist, this, this, so preparing the highway, right? Of, of course, we have an illustration here. And what would be done to prepare the way for the coming of a king would be, uh, you know, our tax dollars would be at work. And all the potholes would be filled, every, right? The road would be paved nicely and no bumps, right? Everything would be made straight. But in the preaching of John the Baptist in Luke 3 and in Matthew 3, we see that what this illustrates is what John was calling for from the people. He was calling for repentance. So when he says to them, every valley shall be exalted and every, uh, yes, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. What he's saying is all those low and debased places in your life have to be lifted up. All of those wicked things brought low, they have to disappear. The crooked things in your life, you have to make them straight. Everything that's rough and crude in your life has to be smoothed out. He's calling for repentance, right? He says the axe is laid at the root of the tree. God is coming to judge the wicked. Therefore, we must turn from our ungodly ways. That's what this illustration is, is uh, for. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So there's a promise. When this forerunner comes to preach, what will men see? The glory of God. What have we been looking at in John 1 through 18? The glory of God, Christ himself. That's not one of the places I want to look, though. So, so here we have the proclamation of John. This is what he was doing. He was preparing this, this uh, he was preparing the people. Now look at verse 6. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all the, the godliness or all of the goodness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the Spirit of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord our God shall stand forever. Verses 16 and 18 really is a confirmation of the last clause in verse 5. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The, the word of God is sure and certain. I've said that the, a forerunner will come and he will prepare the way and men will see the glory of God. They will see it with their own eyes. What does John say? We beheld him. We saw him with our own eyes. This is the Son of God. And with, with the certainty of God's promise. O Zion, that brings uh, here, 
Oh, tell great news or good news to Zion. Get up into the mountains. Bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift, the vo- lift up your voices with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold your God will come. So look at, now look at John. So, so we know he's the voice crying. He's the one preaching good tidings. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the good news. And verse 29, so, so we know that John says, I'm this voice that's preaching in the wilderness and I'm calling men to prepare the way. And now John is speaking to the religious leaders in verses 19 through 28. But in verse 29, now he's speaking to the crowds and listen to what he says. Verse 29, behold, that same word, look, the Lamb of God. That voice that would be crying in the wilderness, behold, your God, now cries, behold, the Lamb, the Lamb of God. He does it again in verse 36, behold, the Lamb of God. Not only that, though, verse uh, Isaiah chapter 40, I'm turning back there. Isaiah chapter 40 presents this, this picture of the one who would come. Look at verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. This is used in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Speaking of Jesus, John wrote Revelation. I think chapter 40 is important for John. But verse 11, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. He shall gently lead those that are with the young. What did Jesus say in, in John? I am the good shepherd. The sheep hear my voice. See, this is, this is all... Uh, Old Testament background. So, so when you're asking the question, what is happening in the ministry of John the Baptist, the inauguration of the restoration of all things? That's what's happening in the ministry of John the Baptist. But not only that, l- listen to this. Look at verse 21. Look at verse 21 of chapter 40. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sits upon the circle of the earth and in, and in the inhabitations thereof. Therefore, all are as grasshoppers. Look at verse 28. So, the great God of heaven, right? So this, this, this one that's coming into the world, the one who will reveal the glory of God, who will shepherd his people, is the God of heaven and earth. Verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not nor gets weary? This part is supposed to give the people confidence because they're going to be in captivity reading Isaiah 40. 
They're going to be in captivity reading this book and thinking to themselves, there's no way that a deliverer is going to come and save us. And he's saying, no, no, the everlasting God, he neither faints nor gets weary. That idea of an everlasting God. Look at how John the Baptist says this. He says, in verse 27, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latch or shoelaces or sandal straps I am not worthy to untie. Verse 30, verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Was, was the man, the incarnate son, before John? He was actually born physically after. But what is he saying? No, this is the everlasting God. See, the, the, the background of the ministry of John the Baptist is now the restoration of all things the proclamation of the promises of God, those things that are, that are sure and certain, those truths that are incorruptible and promises that are everlasting, that is, that is what John is ushering in with his ministry. So that when he says to the people, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said Isaiah. And they which were sent were Pharisees. Right? Part of that delegation was Pharisees. So you have Pharisees, Sadducees, priests, Levites. You have all of these men who should have known the Word of God. They should have known their Bibles. And when John comes preaching the truth, what do they do? They resist it. All of the promises that God had stored up and laid up for His people in the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah chapter 40, as we note the context here, all of those promises were being brought to fruition. And what did the religious leaders, the men who were, they were, they were you know, they were the elders and the deacons, and they, they served on various committees in the church. What did they do? They pointed the people away from the fulfillment of the promises. They, they took the key and they put it in their pocket and they wouldn't give it to the people to do the people good. They were, in Ezekiel's words, they were worthless shepherds. If, if uh, you know, if you attend a church, and most of you attend here, but if you attend a church with a worthless shepherd, don't go there. That's not where you need to be. You don't need to be under the leadership of men who are going to, and in some cases, women now, which is unbiblical, but anyways, um, uh, you ought not to be under the ministry of men who are not going to point you to the Savior. Who are going to damn, they will ensure that your soul will be damned to hell. You know generally why they do it? To fill their own bellies. That's why they want to do it. They shear God's sheep and take advantage of God's people for their own gain. And sometimes it's just for pride and reputation. There may not be any money in it, but people make them feel good. Right? Because he's the pastor or, or serves in whatever capacity. And John would have none of that. He pointed them to the scriptures, but the religious leaders, you see their hypocrisy. And then they asked him. You, you would think, right, that they would pause 
the Pharisees had, would, these men would memorize the Bible. You'd think that they would pause and say, wait a minute. Yeah, this is actually in the Bible. Let's be Bereans. Let's, let's, uh, all right, everybody, we'll be back. We're going to the synagogue. We're going to get some scrolls. We're going to read. And we're going to pray over this and, and really consider what we're going to do here. No, they don't miss a beat, right? Why baptize, why do you baptize then if you're not the Christ? Or Elijah? Or the prophet? Why are you doing this? And the reason they ask this particular question is uh, because in uh, passages, rep- this is a representative passage. Uh, in Zechariah chapter 13, you had these kinds of promises when the Messiah would come. And it would be a prerogative of the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet to, to do what Zechariah says in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. Now, of course, we know, right? If we think of the hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood, right? So we think of a fountain filled with blood, but here what they would think is purification, a water, a fount of water by which the people would be cleansed. It, 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 it uh, illustrated the work of the Spirit, but that's what they were waiting for, this cleansing. So they're asking, why are you doing this work of cleansing if you're not the prophet? You're not the, you're not the one who, who does these things. It's not your place. And John answers them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. He answers a different way in the other Gospels. He says, but the one who's coming baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's going to say that. We'll see that next week uh, in verses 30 around there. But here what he does is he says, I baptize with water, but there's one here that you don't know. the, The fact that they continue to ask this question now in light of his reference to Isaiah 40 makes it clear you don't know the Lord. You don't know him. You don't, you don't know God, the Savior of the world, the one that you should know, the one that you should be concerned with. You're not concerned with him. You're worried and concerned about yourself. You know, whenever we're asked uh, questions as Christians, you know, why do you, um, you know, I, the one I get answered, asked a lot because I have a lot of kids, for example, is why do you homeschool your kids? And um, in, in our weaker moments, we could answer, well, you know, the education is better and all that kind of stuff, right? But to give an honest answer, I would say, because public schools are absolutely godless and the Lord Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, would have me raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, right? Which would open a door for conversation, right? What John teaches us to do here is is deflect in a way, but point people to Jesus. Why are you baptizing? Oh, I baptize with water, but there's somebody that you don't know, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's here among you. He points right to Jesus. This is, remember, John is going to say later, I think it's in chapter 3, he must increase, but I must decrease. And from the beginning of his ministry, he's deflecting. He's, he's pointing, I'm a voice crying. I'm not the one crying, but I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make way the path of the Lord. I baptize, but there's one who's here, who you do not know. And you must know him. 
He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet or whose sandal I am not worthy to unloose. When, a, when there was in Israel, when there was a, a relationship between a teacher, a rabbi, and his students, they would be called his servants. So that's why Jesus uses this language in John 15 and other places. The servant is not greater than his Lord or his master. That was the relationship between a rabbi and his students. Yet in that relationship, the one thing that the rabbis actually, and it's in um, their writings, would not allow a student to do was handle their master's feet. That was too low for them. It was, it was, that, that was the place of not only a servant, but an actual house slave, somebody who worked in the house, but not the student. And John is saying that I am not worthy to do it. What the rabbis would say is, it, it's below you to do that. Don't do that. That's not the right thing for you to do. And what John is saying, I'm not worthy to do that to him. And the Old Testament spoke of my ministry. Again, he exalts the Lord Jesus. This should be our aim. This should be our aim. Our aim it should be always to point men to the Lord Jesus Christ. Church is worthless. Nothing. Jesus said, the one who is greatest among you must be the least. He must be the servant. And this is what John the Baptist is illustrating for us in his ministry on this first day as John the Gospel writer opens up for us this Gospel. We see this. I want to focus just here on this one point where he says, you do not know him. Ultimately, this is the issue with with every person, if you know Christ or if you do not know Christ. And people in this world, they love to take issue with the Lord Jesus, you know. Um, they use his name as a curse word um, and, you know, uh, get the Bibles out of school, but we'll teach our kids about Islam. Let's, you know, biblical history out of schools, but we'll teach them about, you know, LBGTQ plus history, right? So Stonewall Jackson is being pumped and, and, and all that nonsense. Uh, this is the issue. Jesus is always the issue. But we have to remember, a man dying of thirst never complains when he finds one oasis, if he just finds one, he's not standing in front of that oasis. Come on, this, oh, this is horrible. You know? We have to make it clear to men and women who do not believe that they are in a dire position and there is only one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if men and women and children, if they do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be tormented for eternity in hell. The only way to have a relationship with the God who made you is through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He must be prominent in all we do and say, as he was in John's ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together, and we praise you for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for John's ministry, and may you teach us, Lord, uh, although we are not prophetic figures, uh, but to emulate him in our vocation, Lord, in the things that we do and in the things that you have called us to do for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.